If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4, we'll be reading the entire chapter. 1 Peter 4, if you would give ear to the reading of God's word. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, rivalries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers over a multitude of sin. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in his matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved... Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, you have given us your word. You have directed that we should study that word. You have done this so we and our children and their children after them may fear you. You have promised those who do this shall have a long and blessed life. You call us to hear your word so we may be careful to obey. So things will go well for us as we work to carry your truth into the world. Then the numbers in your church shall grow through our witness of your grace. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you for giving us your word. Help us to learn from this morning. Grant us grace that we may apply all we learn and grow stronger and stronger in our witness. 
In Christ's name, amen. Peter has been teaching about suffering. His emphasis has been on the suffering that all in this world undergo. He now turns to the specific suffering that believers will face. Jesus told his disciples that if the world hated him, it would also hate them. The reason it hated him was the message he brought. He came to tell the world that there was a God and that this God had a standard and that he expected all in this world he created to follow that standard. It was a message that carried with it the expectation of submission. Man in his rebellion in the garden made it clear he had no desire to be submissive to anyone or to anything. Therefore, this message brought by Jesus Christ was an offense to all unregenerate minds. Since they could not come up with a solid or logical answer to the message because it was truth, they had to strike out against the messenger. Thus they took Christ, they persecuted him, they hung him on a Calvary's cross, there he died. As you all know, this is, this is, is not the end of the message, but only the beginning, as this was all a part of God's plan. Consider this from Acts 2, verses 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, he being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. God had planned. He had planned from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world was laid, that Jesus would come into this world. He would come to deliver this great and wonderful message of love and hope. He had also planned how Christ would fulfill all the requirements of the law on behalf of his people. God knew that men would not hear or believe the message unless he first delivered them from the darkness of their sinful flesh. So he chose the people out of the mass of sinful flesh to give them new hearts. He called these people to come and to hear and believe on Jesus Christ and the works he would do on their behalf. He also commissioned them to the work of, of carrying the message to a lost and dying world. He made them into reflections of his only begotten son. With this would come the blessings promised in the word to all who would be obedient to his commands. But there would also come the same suffering and persecution that Christ had endured. My friends, you cannot follow Jesus Christ and be obedient to his commands and not come into contact with the suffering Jesus faced in his life on this earth. The reason is very simple. If you follow Jesus Christ, you must carry the same message he carried. 
We live in a day and time when men think they have grown very, very sophisticated. Men today believe they are so far advanced over those who lived only a short hundred years ago. And that those further back than that are really just a bunch of ignoramuses to them. This is a tragic mistake. Men in their hearts have not changed since they fell in the Garden of Eden. Man was created in perfect righteousness, knowledge, and holiness. He was given a place of fellowship with his creator. But he committed treason. Treason against his sovereign Lord and was condemned to a life apart from his God. Without the contact and support of his creator, man was plunged into a state of total spiritual darkness. He lost his righteousness. He lost his knowledge and holiness. He became a creature without hope. And yet he was too ignorant to recognize his terrible state. He continued in his rebellion even to the point of destroying the very one who could save him, nailing him to a cross. But thanks be to a marvelous, sovereign, and gracious God, a loving and merciful God, a God that was not willing to lose all of his creation to sin. So, a way was provided through Jesus Christ to save his people from this terrible state of darkness. But one of the consequences to those saved is the enduring of the same suffering Christ underwent. In this passage... Peter speaks about the suffering you must undergo as a believer. He first tells you that you must be understanding. Second, he says, you must be very, very careful. Third, he says, be ready. And fourth, he admonishes that you be good. In the times in which Peter writes, and to those to whom he writes, persecution was a way of life for all who believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. Peter approaches this subject with a pastor's heart. He hurts with those who suffer because of their faith. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You can hear Peter's heart speaking to those he's addressing here when he calls them beloved. He loved these people. He was very concerned that they understood what was happening in their lives. He says, do not think it strange. He uses the same word he used in verse 4 when he said they think it strange. He's referring to the pagans to those unregenerate souls, those who who look on the believer's refusal to participate in their worldly activities as weird. He tells you not to think it's strange. Don't be surprised when trials come upon you as a believer. Don't let the persecutions this world heaps on you take you by surprise. Jesus, as we have already pointed out, told his disciples the world would hate them. Christ in his prayer in John 17, 14 says, he has given believers his word. And because of that word, 
the world will hate them. The Apostle John tells his readers the same thing in 1 John 3.13 when he says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. You cannot bring the message that Jesus brought without getting that same reaction from the world he received. They have no good answer to this message. And when they cannot answer, they will attack the messenger. So if you go out and witness for Christ, you're going to run into those people that are going to just turn on you as quick as you can blink your eye because they hate what you are bringing. They know they're sinners. They know they need to repent, but they are made up their minds they're not going to. They believe they can beat it. I've had people tell me, well, I can argue my way into heaven. I'd like to hear that argument. Peter says, don't be surprised. So what is it you aren't to be surprised about? Don't be surprised about the fiery trial which which is to try you. Peter's not concerned here with the specifics of these trials, but with the fact they will come. He wants you to look at the purpose of these trials. This would be seen as a reference to the process of purifying a precious metal, something like gold. Gold requires fire to be processed. And according to Peter, so does your faith. Your faith is proved by fiery trials. God brings you into these fiery trials in order to rest the genuineness of your faith. Why does he do this? Because faith in God is, as Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 7, being much more precious than gold. But please understand, God tests your faith. Not for his own information. God's omniscient. He already knows where and what you are. He tests your faith to show you where you are and to use it as an aid in helping you to grow in your sanctification. These trials are for your good and for your growth in grace. So rejoice when you go out there and you witness and they turn on you. Rejoice because you are doing what God has called you to do. You're taking his word to a lost and dying world. That's all he's asked you to do is to take it, is to bring it to the attention of those who are lost. He doesn't tell you to grab them by the beard and beat them up so that they'll believe. He tells you to rejoice when you come under these trials because you're doing what he has called you to do. This is reinforced in the next part of this statement from 1 Peter 4.12. As though some strange thing happened to you. Do not look at these trials as though somehow this is a, a foreign circumstance that it will not fit Christian. This is not the exception for the believer. It's the rule. If you're going to witness, expect it. All of God's people will suffer trials and tribulations. Don't look at these trials and blame God and call him unfair. You, as a believer, must understand the purpose of these trials. God's using them to strengthen your faith in him, to strengthen your dependence on him. Hebrews 11.6 declares, but without faith it's impossible to please God. Without complete dependence on Jesus Christ and his work of redemption, you will never be saved. Salvation is his work and his work alone. 
Your responsibility is to recognize your complete lack of ability and to place your complete trust in him and in him only. Therefore, you need to understand the purpose of trials. Jesus gives some insight into this in Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter says the same thing. 1 Peter 4.13 But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Both Jesus and Peter say to rejoice in the face of suffering and under trials and tribulations. Why do you think they say such a thing? Because when you do this, you're participating in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Please understand, this is not adding to Christ's suffering. It's very important. His suffering was finished in the completion of his humiliation. What you do never adds to his work. Your suffering as a believer has no atoning power. The thing Peter wants you to understand is that your suffering for the cause of Christ identifies you with him. Isn't that what we want? I want to be like my brother. I want to be like Christ. As you preach the gospel in his name, as you go forth as a witness for Jesus and you preach the gospel in his name and encounter affliction because of your identification with his message, you are participating in his suffering. Acts 5.41 So they, the apostles, departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. This was Peter and John. They had been whipped because of their, their allegiance to Christ. They had healed a man, and they had given him the gospel, and the Sanhedrin didn't like it. They wanted them to stop, and they ordered them to stop. But they considered it to be a great blessing that they were, were, were suffering for their Savior. The Savior saw him, them as worthy of suffering for him. Don't you want that in your life? Don't you want Christ looking at you and recognizing you? you now listen, we all got sin. Don't get caught up in the fact you got sin. You can always ask Christ to forgive you and he'll forgive you. That's one of the wonders of Christianity. But when you go out to witness and you begin to get persecuted for it, look at it as being a great honor because Christ is sending you where you will suffer as he suffered for bringing the truth of the word of God. We should all want to be placed in a situation, a situation where God would consider us worthy to suffer for his name. Why would anyone want to undergo such suffering? Again, Peter says in verse 13, you need to understand. You want to do this so that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Here's the final reason for joy known, shown in suffering. To be a participant in this suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ and his name means to be a participant in his glory when he returns. It's in the Greek expressed as as to indicate the double joy 
And you'll see it translated as exceeding joy or as overjoyed. Here is what you want want to understand as you face these terrible trials and tribulations that's thrown at you. That by those who do not believe, you're being shown worthy. That person's making you worthy. He's attacking Christ in you. These trials, this suffering, is designed by God to ensure you continue growing in faith and in dependence on Jesus Christ alone. It also means that joy will fill your heart so that these trials you are being prepared to witness his glorious return and to be made a part of his eternal kingdom. Peter adds in 1 Peter 14, if you are reproached, and it's 1 Peter 1, 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God rest upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. What joy. What joy this should bring to the heart of anyone who hears the gospel message and places their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation because this is the the hope and the only hope that can bring eternal life. Peter next says that you must approach this understanding with great care. 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in the matter. In the early years of the church, there were those who wrongly sought to be martyred. They thought such a death would ensure that they would be accepted before God. They saw it as a, a work, a work that can please God. They were mistaken. Many who were not true believers would claim their punishment was because of their faith. Peter says, you will not fool God with such misrepresentations of the facts. You must be sure that you are truly suffering for Jesus' name and not for your own crimes. I think of those today who are attacking and killing people that differ with them in the name of God. Those that attack politicians that they disagree with. Those who burn police cars and buildings. Those who go out and kill people simply because they differ, look different than they do. God, through Peter, said all men must be submissive to those in authority over them. You cannot take the law into your own hands. To do so is a crime. It's a sin. And what you suffer for such wrongs does not bring rejoicing or reflect the glory of God. Submission to authority, as Peter has so ably pointed out, is paramount to living a good Christian life. To commit crimes is in the misguided idea that you're helping God only brings ridicule of his message and contempt of his word. Peter takes this even further when he adds in verse 15, or as a a busybody in other people's matters. It's not just violent crimes. It's not just civil unrest that you must avoid. But it's also social sins such as being a busybody or a gossip. 
Now, I know none of us like to hear this. I know, but here in this group, nobody ever does that. These sins are very serious. They're serious because they are sins that bring up evil within the body. They cause distrust and disturb the peace. You know, I used to wonder what was so bad about gossip until I began to understand that's what destroys the trust we have between ourselves as members of the body. We need to get rid of that. We need to purge ourselves of it. It's not easy to do. Peter takes this even further when he adds in verse 15, or as a busybody in other people's matters, it's not just, well, we've already covered that. It's not just crimes, but it's, it, it's a sin. If you're found to be guilty of these sins, you cannot call the punishment meted out against you persecution. You will have to bear this punishment for yourself, and there will be no glory in this for you at Christ's return. Please don't misunderstand this. Peter does not mean that Christ's sacrifice is not sufficient to cover the sins. It is. But once under you are under his blood, once you're saved, to go out and commit these sins leaves you without protection against the authorities of this world. It also has no justification under God's commandments. Therefore, any punishment inflicted on you because of such sin is justified and will bring no glory to Christ at his return and no joy to you. When you suffer, it should be for clearly declaring the message of God that Jesus Christ has come into this world. That's what you're called to do. That's what the Lord has has commissioned the church to do. Is go, make disciples, teaching them all things I have taught you. Christ came to live the perfect life, to die the atoning death, to win the resurrection victory for all who would hear and believe on him. When you suffer for standing on this gospel from Jesus Christ, you can do it with your head held high, knowing that what you suffer is part of the sufferings of your Lord and Savior. You need never be ashamed of this kind of suffering. You can lift your voice in praise to God that indeed he has counted you worthy to suffer with Jesus Christ, to carry his name in a lost and dying world. Please be careful that you are constantly examining your heart and comparing it to the word of God. Peter wants you to understand why these trials are coming into your life. He wants you to be careful how you go about dealing with these very difficult circumstances. He wants you to be ready for them when they come. 1 Peter 4, verses 17 and 18. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteousness righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner, sinner appear? Here, Peter gives us the teaching of Scripture on God's judgment, on his people as well as on the world. The Old Testament, the prophets, were delivering, would deliver warnings to the people of Israel about coming, the coming judgment, and it was because of their sin. You remember how the prophets would do it. Daniel stood up and prophesied against the people 
because of their lack of faith. All of the prophets did. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they all stood and prophesied against the people for their sin. We know those people would not listen and God would judge them. He judged every one of them. There is a difference in the words of the prophets and in Peter's statement. Peter is speaking to those called of God. But these are God's people who are suffering because of the name of Christ. The judgment coming on them is not in the form of condemnation, but is coming in the form of exoneration because they suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Now, what, what does this mean? If you translate this literally, it says, for it is time for judgment to begin from the family of God. This says judgment has its beginning place. Judgment starts at God's house and goes forth from its it to those who are not a part of it. It's important to see that Peter says judgment, not punishment. Those who receive persecution because of the name of Christ, as he said in 1 Peter 2.9, are, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Jesus came and suffered the punishment due you for your sins. He set you free from the curse. Therefore, God will never eternally punish you because of Christ. God made it possible for you to escape condemnation through the remission of your sins. He draws you to himself through the suffering you undergo in the name of Jesus Christ. You're judged in Jesus Christ. Jesus, having lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, and won the resurrection victory, provides for all of his people a perfect judgment. Doesn't it sound wonderful? You're going to come before God with a perfect judgment? How can you be ready in this? By placing all of your faith, all of your trust, all of your hope in Jesus Christ and his works alone. Salvation is nothing more than believing and trusting in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. You do not have any hope or any worth in yourself to offer God. When you come before God, you're standing there in the hope of Jesus Christ. Christ comes and speaks for you. He says, Father, this is one of mine, and the Father receives you. But you've got to have that faith and hope in Christ and Christ only. Not Christ in the church you go to. Not Christ in the ministry you sit under. Not Christ in the works you do. Christ and Christ alone. Peter asked, what about those who do not obey? They do not have anyone to stand in for them because they rejected the word of God and sought to do for themselves. God will himself testify against them on the day of judgment. There's no hope whatsoever for those who refuse to hear the gospel message. For those who believe in Jesus Christ and his work of redemption. Peter declares in 1 Peter 4.18, If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? It's hard for the righteous to be saved. Is it? Yes, it is. You, you cannot save yourself. 
The only salvation is found in Jesus Christ. He declares in John 14, 6, No one comes to the Father except through me. He also explains in John 6, 44, No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No one can save themselves. If it's impossible to save yourself, then you are totally dependent on God for your salvation. What will be the end of those who never know God and acknowledge their dependence on him? Peter leaves this as a rhetorical question because the answer is so self-evident. They are eternally lost and without hope. Therefore, it is extremely important that all who name the name of Jesus Christ be ever diligent, ever ready to be examined in their hearts on a regular basis against God's word. Do you read God's word every day? You need to be, because you need to be comparing your life to what God's word says. And I assure you, you'll never get to the point that it won't give you some new truth. What will be the results of these regular examinations? Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Please, please remember, Peter is writing this letter to those who are believers, not to unbelievers. His audience is made up of people committed to God's word and living lives of suffering and hardship because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. The word, therefore, brings us to the conclusion of this matter. Peter has taught already that nothing happens in the life of a believer without first being God's will, for we know God is in control of all life circumstances. As believers, it is uncommon to find many struggling with the idea of their circumstances being unfair. You ever been there? I have. I think we all have at one time or another. If this fits us, Please do not lose sight of God's purpose for your life. I, am, I assure you that in his providence, he is molding you into the image of his son. This is what is behind Peter's words of encouragement. There are two things Peter wants every believer to do. First, believers are to commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Here's the key to living a Christian life in any circumstance, commitment and submission. As a believer, you are called to submit or commit to God's purpose for your life. Once you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are no longer the one in control of your life, as if you ever were, but you were deceived into thinking you were. Now you know the truth. The life you live is not your own. You belong to Jesus Christ. Peter says, commit yourself to your faithful creator. God made you. You are the clay. He's the potter. He has shaped and fashioned you into what he wants you to be. For the believer, that process has not ended. It has only begun. Through the trials and suffering of this life, you're molded into the image of Jesus Christ. Second, Peter says, commit their souls to him in doing good. 
This confirms what he first calls you to do, commit. The believer, the one who truly gives himself to God, the one who has, doesn't play, just play the martyr, but commits his whole being to pleasing God, will show the commitment through his actions. Peter has said believers should be holy because God is holy. This Christian life is an expression of the character of our God. We are called to be imitators of God. We are to die to self and live for Jesus Christ. We are to reflect his glory in each and every act, word, and thought that comes from our hearts. We are to be good for our acts reflect on his name. Peter started this section with his teaching on submission and then went to the teaching on suffering. I hope you can see how closely related these two ideas are. You cannot be a part of this world and be submissive to its dictates without coming into suffering. You cannot avoid suffering when you are carrying the message of Jesus Christ. And you cannot properly carry that message without submitting to those God places over you, be they friend or foe. If there is one thing, one thing that I hope you will will see from these messages, it's the need to stand firm before this world. Not to waffle, but to testify of Christ and stand fast on that. Not to be drawn into their idea of following your own way. Don't we do that so many times? We get into a group. Most of them are unsaved. Next thing you know, we're kind of hushing, being quiet, kind of following along and not objecting to the sinful things that they come up with. We all do it. God has established his way. That way is through obedience to his word. There are no shortcuts to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The only thing that pleases God is faith. Believing God's word. You can only show your faith when you stand firm in your commitment to his word and to follow his commands. When you do this, you can be assured. Assured that suffering will come into your life. The important thing to remember when it comes is that it's not a terrible thing. It is a wonderful statement from God that you are his and he is yours. It should cause your heart to rejoice and the expectation of his glorious return to fill your heart. This will then drive you to an ever stronger and an ever greater faith. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, We come to you this morning to worship you in all we do. We know we are dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live. We once followed the ways of this world. We lived among the wicked and sought to satisfy ourselves with sinful things. We were by nature children of wrath. But because of your great love shown to us in Jesus Christ, you who are rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. By your grace, we have been delivered from sin, Satan, and death. You did this to show your incomparable riches and to express your kindness to your people. Thank you, Lord, 
Thank you for your grace that saves our souls. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.